It is all consuming, but I think if you stay at a company or a business for such a long period of time, I think there's a sense that you get addicted to the security of it. I was so reliant on that fortnightly paycheck going in. I based my whole life around that. I had no, I didn't really have great finance skills. Um, if you had asked me a few months ago how to write an invoice, I wouldn't have known that. So it was a real rude shock to my system. So in so many ways, I, didn't, I hadn't grown up. Hi, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is Quit Your Day Job, a podcast for frustrated creatives. I love to start by asking my guests, when someone says to you, what do you do, what do you tell them? Because for so many people, what we do can come to define who we think we are. Not having a job is often considered worse than having a job that makes us really unhappy. The security and structure offered by a role or a company is valued so highly that many people are content to stick around long after realizing it's not for them. After 17 years rising up the ranks working in radio and network television, Naomi Shiva Raman quit her day job. In the last month, she's gone from network news chief of staff to working behind the scenes at her local pub. I was so interested in speaking to Naomi at this exciting time in her life to find out why, after 11 years with Channel 7, she chose to take the leap into the great unknown. I wanted to know what that process looked like for her and what she wants her next chapter to be all about. This episode is particularly useful to those who identify with the idea of wanting to quit their day job, but don't know where to begin. Hopefully hearing a conversation where someone has gone through the paces will plant the seeds that will inspire you to begin your own journey of emancipation. And on that note, before we get to my chat with Naomi, I'm currently workshopping a workshop. It's all about breaking through blocks, and I want to chat to people who are looking to better engage with their passions, from those who feel like they're stuck in their day job, through to those who are looking to get better at working creatively. Hit me up on Instagram at danbrophy or send me an email danbrophy at gmail.com. I want to find out from you how I can best talk to someone who's in your situation and hopefully in the process give you some tools that will allow you to do you but better. And now here's my chat with Naomi Shivaraman in an episode I like to call I Quit My Day Job from Chief of Staff to Working at the Pub. So Naomi, thank you for joining me. Hello, how are you? I'm good. So I was really looking forward to chatting with you because you're at an interesting stage in your career, but I love to start by asking people, when someone says, hey, what do you do? What do you tell them? Well, um, so going back a bit, I have just, I just quit my job after 11 years. I had a great 11 years, um, but I, I think for so long, you know, and because I've been so career-driven... What were you doing? Um, so I was at Channel 7. Um, but my last job at Channel 7, I was Chief of Staff of 7 News, which was obviously a very big job. Prior to that, I was a producer and Chief of Staff on the Sunday Night Program. And then prior to that, I was 7 years a producer on Today Tonight. So my entire 20s, um, I'm 34 now, but my entire 20s, my, my identity was wrapped up in, you know, that's who I am, I'm Channel 7. You know, I used to be able to go to a party and say, you know, this is what I do. And you know, I must admit there was a little bit of an ego part where it was like, oh, wow, you've got this really cool job. And were you people generally impressed when you told them what you did? They absolutely were. Because um, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds impressive. <laughs> it was, I mean, I worked really, really hard at that career, um, but... Um, what was your original question? Well, what, when people said to you, what do you, so what do you do? I mean, that would have happened a lot, actually, in yes. party scenarios. <laughs> what was the line? It did. So um, people said, what do you do? And I'd be like, I was, I'm chief of staff at Seven News, or I'm a producer at Channel 7, or um, I'm chief of staff at Sunday Night, you know, which was the big award-winning long-format program. Um, when I quit my job recently... I must admit I had one day and I sat there probably having an identity crisis. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing sort of bits and pieces of casual freelance work at the moment. And I sat there, it was a Saturday, and I thought to myself, 
oh my god, who am I? I've just gone from being a somebody to a nobody. You know, you, you had that identity. I had no business cards anymore. I had none of those things that, you know, mould who you are in a workplace. Did you identify when you were having that identity crisis that that was what was going on or were you just experiencing the ego drama and not really knowing what, what it was until afterwards? I think it was partly... I, I think I knew it was an ego drama and I also... I think it was a bit of both for me. And another friend who had time off in between jobs, she warned me exactly. She said, you will, you're going to have a day like that or you'll have days like that. Um, so I think a part of it was the ego thing of, oh, God, well, what do I say to people when I turn up to something? Um, but it was such a great lesson in, you know, you're not a company. And, and I guess that's, I think it's such a common experience. I, I wonder if other people go through it. They must, you know, especially if they get made redundant or they leave a job or they go and have a tree change or a sea change. Um, there is a little bit of that of who am I? Well, you're 34 and, you know, I imagine that it would only be even like incrementally more exacerbated if you were 64 and then, and you lost your job. Or, you know, if you were 54 and lost your job, you know, could you imagine someone who'd been in that world yeah. their entire life? Mm. I mean, that actually happens to a lot of the reason why I think gentlemen of a certain age, uh, That's I think the incidences of mental health uh, mm. concerns for, for guys are early 20s and mid 60s as the two biggest sort of danger zones. And they're both huge periods of identity reckoning. And I think that not knowing who you are without a job or not knowing who you are without your teens and your uni life would probably (laughs) put someone into a tailspin. So well, now the interesting thing is you are no longer that role. So does someone, have you been asked since you've left, what do you do? A couple of times. And, um, but I, I think I just really had to work through, you know, you are not a company, you are not a company. And, and also recognizing that, you know, good friends and people that I really respect professionally, I don't identify them by what they did for 10 years and the fact they belong somewhere or, you know, to a particular company or an institution or an organisation. To me, they're very, um, you know, talented people in their own right. So I just had to think to myself, well, I don't identify them by um, by their company or by a label. So I've got to try and reverse my, my thinking and, and, you know, treat myself with the same sense of respect. Yeah. You know, it took, it took a few days. Well, <laughs> a few days isn't bad. People don't sometimes have months worth of grieving mm. of the life that they've known before they're ready to transition. But like a, we're using the relationship allegory and I'm sure it's going to come up a lot because I really feel that, I think I've been on this rant before on this very podcast, but the way in which people allow themselves to be mistreated in the relationship that is their working life mm-hmm. is really if you were to parallel it with a marriage, people would, red flags would go off and people would intervene or at least tell you you should look at maybe an alternative. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the way in which we allow ourselves to be treated, mistreated, undervalued, underpaid, under, under-celebrated in these jobs that considering how much energy we give them, they are a marriage of sorts. Yep. What was it about the most recent circumstance that, that made you think it was time for a change? Um, I think I'm someone who um, I've, I'm deathly loyal, um, you know, deathly loyal in every sort of way. And I think I look back in my 20s and I think because of that loyalty, I probably gave up some really good opportunities because I was so loyal. Um, and also I did, I did like my workplace, but if I, you, you know, if I had any advice for especially 20-something-year-old girls, you know, put yourself out there and do what's best for you and... Don't, don't get so... Be loyal. And I, I'm all for being loyal, but don't get obsessively loyal that you get blindsided. And it's like marriage. Um, you know, you're so loyal sometimes you can't see the better opportunities. Um, you, you don't also... Um, you know, I, I, there's a saying that challenge makes you grow and um, also people get too comfortable in security. And I think in marriage that often happens. And I think in long-term careers as well that happens. What brought me to resigning was or quitting was I, um, you know, for years, for 11 years, I'd worked a very grueling schedule. Um, I had more energy in my twenties as well. Um, but I think this was the first, I think this year I started slightly feeling, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable. Um, and, um, I'm slightly disengaged from what I love to do because I'm comfortable. Also, you know, I was getting up at four in the morning and working intense days. So I, I just thought to myself, 
something clicked and I thought if I don't love it 100% and I love this, I love it 70, 80%, then it's time for me to get out of the bubble and relearn some new skills, re-engage because I felt disengaged. Uh, and it, it wasn't, you know, it was a decision I didn't take lightly. I thought about it for at least six months um, and there was a bit of, I think I was more grieving in the six months that I'd made the decision. There were quite a few tears. Um, and, um, you know, I remember saying goodbye to everybody and I started, yeah, I, I got really emotional and I still feel that emotion now. Um, but, but I think also if you, you don't grow as a person, if you, you know, stay in situations and don't explore things. And I think I felt I wanted to upskill and, you know, to see the world a bit. Do you think that that's something, you and I are smack bang in the middle of two generations. If we were born a couple of years older, we'd be Gen X. And if we were born a couple of years younger, we'd be well and truly identified as Gen I. But we're both millennials, mm-hmm. technically, but only just. I pretend I'm a Gen X. <laughs> I do you? <laughs> yes, I do. Well, I'm I, technically Gen Y. Of course we, we are. But I think I, I've, I would be like, sometimes I remember like meeting someone who I thought was like really <laughs> close, like really sort of. I don't know, boring and conservative, and I'd go, she is so Gen X, about, like, as a read. So it's so funny that you really proudly wore the mantle of Gen X as being something that you wanted to embrace. I think I went as far as saying, um, sometimes sometimes believing that I had the baby boomer work ethic, you know, really? I'm in the war, you know, migrant struggle, all of that. So, like, I obsessively worked, and still do. I still and can't keep still. When did you enter, what age did you enter that, that space? Um, I... I, st- I got work experience when I was 14 years old in high school because I hated school and I wasn't very academic. Um, my music teacher at the time, because I loved music, my music teacher at the time said, you're more interested in chatting to the homeless people and the strange people and the junkies on the street. You're more curious about you know everything out there than actually studying. Have you thought about being a journalist? And I thought, oh, and that's something I, that really appealed to me. Um, so I wagged school and I went to a payphone. This is in Perth, a um, bit off the rails. And I rang, um, I rang 6PR radio station in Perth um, because this particular music teacher had a connection, knew the nighttime broadcasting host. And I rang his secretary and I said, please, can I just turn up? And um, that led to me speaking to the big boss of the radio station. And she sternly said to me, um, you know, this is not a playground. If I give you work experience and you turn up, you're going to work hard and you're, you, this isn't high school. And that was the beginning of everything because um, school holidays and weekends, I um, went and did work experience and I got paid work, my first job at 17 at this particular radio station. So I entered that workspace really young. But weirdly, I felt, I think I felt because I was so... Um, academically not inclined and I felt like I'd failed everything else Um, you know I had a very dysfunctional home life and so I felt you know everything else was sort of not working out the one thing I know how to do is work hard and um, that was the beginning of everything and I'm and to this day I'm still grateful to that woman who gave me that lecture and we're still in contact did she give you was she really impressed to see that you rose to the occasion yeah I mean they must have she must have been because they kept letting me come back and um, I started meeting all these big Perth personalities and radio people. Personalities? Personalities, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, but then I, I actually for the first time felt like I belonged somewhere. I didn't feel like I belonged at school mm. and I didn't feel like, I, I didn't care about maths. I failed maths and oh, I didn't see the purpose for all of that. I probably would have earned a lot more money in my career if I did. Um, but I, um, oh, what was the question? Sorry. Well, uh, yeah. Well, did she recognise your? Did she champion you? I think I was just a pain in the ass and just kept pushing to come back and pushing to come back. And um, but yeah, she was very supportive because she knew I did, didn't want to mess around. And um, and and then when I was, about, you know, I did work experience everywhere in Perth. I did so much free work. I caught buses down to Bunbury in the southwest and stayed at the Backpackers hostel just to work at um, work for free at GWN the country you know tv station every network and I just remembered thinking oh god I'm actually really good at this I'm good at networking and I'm really good at this um I just had a natural innate thing like I understood journalism and I understood the, you know what the outcome was and I just think I always had that natural curiosity that I think you can't really teach in a uni um, I did get into uni and I did did it for a few months and I felt like I wasn't learning anything. 
um, and I felt like it wasn't the real world. I've just always had this innate um, gravitation towards the real world and towards out there. And to this day, I still maintain that, you know, I've, it's the best career ever. You meet people who are rich, you meet people who are poor, you see people at their best and worst. Um, people tell you things like therapy. It's kind of like this. <laughs> and, um, and that's something I'll never take for granted because people trust you with their lives. When someone is a good journalist, mm. do they tend to have a, similar, a similarity to them to someone else who's a good journalist or does everyone have a, bring a different essence to the table? I think there's definitely... I think the number one trait, I think, is common ground is curiosity. And, um, and there's also... Um, you've got to have some sort of, I guess, thrive on human connection in some way. And it's also... Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's basic curiosity that you can't teach and you know people have different motivations but the most the most common ones are um you know um uh, storytelling you've got to lo- love telling a story um you've got to also have an innate sense of why do we care why would everyone else out there care the, the what's in it for me for what's the in audience? it for me for the audience that's mm. exactly it i can tell you, you've studied so while you were doing while you were in the job while you were in the marriage that has been so far increasingly less satisfying to yep. the point of looking elsewhere. Mm. Were you fantasizing about another career, another life that you would like you to mean, find? Was out? I fantasizing about cheating? Yeah. <laughs> well, is that, is that when, when your mind would wander, like you with know, any I relationship? Think, I think um, it's kind of better the devil you know. I, I relate my whole experience. I honestly felt like um, I used to think I was so independent in so many ways because I left home when I was young. I moved interstate and everything. But I realised that I was sort of like a kid alt um, and, and that, you know, it, I'm no different to, you know, 35-year-olds that are still living at home. So um, I think I, I sort of wasn't aware of what was out there, but I thought things are changing. The media business is totally evolving. Um, you know, you're seeing things being shut down, new things happening. The internet changed everything. Um, digital changed everything. And, um, and I also thought, you know, um, I, I need to sort of upskill a bit. So I actually didn't know what was out there and thought, God, I'm, you know, I'll just really take a leap of blind faith. And um, I, actually, I actually did Google at one point in a moment of fear. I Googled, how much does the doll pay? <laughs> so what was the alternative? Because you were th- clearly you were thinking, you were displeased enough in the situation to be thinking beyond the square. Mm. And so did any other ideas for types of work because also I mean I don't know about you but I think it's really important when thinking about what you want to do to think about the most practical part of that Mm. like there are definitely careers that exist for which the most glamorous part is so intoxicating that Mm. you think how wonderful it would be to be that thing and then you think you break it down to exactly what that life looks like to support that career and maybe it's not as much fun as it seems like it would be. It's like you're talking about being infatuated with the fantasy of yeah. what a career is, like, what a marriage is. What for you is there out there that you think that would be fabulous? Like, I would just love to do... Would it be in the news space, but just a different role in the news I space? Think, um, I think being... I, th- I think going into a news, a news space, I think I would definitely love to go back to a job that is on the road, you know, life and death, all of that. Um, but I think being on the road and, you know, you travel a lot and everything, that, um, that sounds glamorous, but it actually isn't. And I think um, if I had just done it in the last year, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been that effective or appreciated it um, as much. So I think I need to go, I, I think being in the real world, at the, I call it the real world, being out of the TV bubble, my bubble, um, is helping me sort of gain those skills to, kind of appreciate on being on the road again. I, I just need to re- refresh. And work out what, you know, your life 2.0 yeah. is actually all about. Exactly. So, I mean, we describe the real world. Is that because when you're in the TV bubble, is it all consuming? It, it is all consuming. But I think if you stay at a company or a business for such a long period of time, I think there's a sense that you get addicted to the security of it. So in so many ways, I, didn't, I hadn't grown up. I was so reliant on that fortnightly paycheck going in. I based my whole life around that. Had no, I didn't really have great finance skills. Um, if you had asked me a few months ago how to write an invoice, I wouldn't have known that. 
So it was a real rude shock to my system to have to learn that. But I feel like I've sort of grown up from being an 18-year-old leaving home and I've sort of hit, you know, I'm now 25, sort of. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I once had a conversation with a guy that was not just a senior to me in my only corporate job, but he was like running a department and he went rogue in the last year or so and I bumped into him out and about and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of starting my own kind of content thing. Could I take you out for coffee and just ask you, you know, how you run your business? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you, you were the senior member mm-hmm. of the entire department of the, the, of the company that I worked in. And you would like to take me out for coffee so I, I can tell you how I run my business? <laughs> like, is it... But then I realized you're so... Yep. starved of information about how the outside world actually works so that they can keep you there. It's just like Julia Roberts in Sleeping with the Enemy, how she has that really abusive, overbearing husband and yes. he won't let her learn to swim Absolutely. so that she can never like, escape from him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, um, it's funny because the, one of the, um, in the first two or three weeks, I think I did it for about three weeks, um, I went straight from being the chief of staff of Channel 7 News to um, working, working at a pub for a few oh. weeks, um, just in the marketing department. I, I wasn't pulling beers. I don't have my RSA. I can't even use my oven, so I'd be really bad at hospitality. But the, st- <laughs> the story would be so much cooler if you went from chief of staff to working at a pub and pulling, pulling beers. beers. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, coming back to the identity thing, so I'd bump into friends or people would write to me, what, oh, hey, what are you doing this week? Um, what are you up to? Are you um, holidaying or going? And I'm like, no, I'm working at the pub. Working at the pub. I love that. Um, but, but, you know, and I'm really glad I did that because it was such a... I mean, TV, newsrooms and, and TV stations, cre- you know what creative people are like. They're, it, they're different. They're, you know, they're eccentric and they're a little bit crazy. Um, so I remember going to the pub and actually seeing the real world and seeing how a small business ran and, you know, how important it was to make sure that punters out there knew what the daily special is and... And also learning, it taught me new marketing skills, like, you, for instance, what drives people to basically walk into a building and choose to eat and drink there. Um, so, and also the social media world as well. Um, that's also been, that's changed since I was last in the real world. Do you think that you're so compartmentalised in a role like what you were doing that you only have a very specific skill set that you're tapping into? It's a heightened skill set, but then I suppose there's a marketing department for social media, so therefore you're not engaging with what that process looks like. Exactly, and I was so used to delegating everything. I had people to do X, Y, A, B, C, D, E, Y, you know, whatever. I can't even spell anymore. Um, but, yeah. So you had someone to do that for you? Yes, absolutely, yep, yep. So does that mean that when... I mean, I think that the way of the future not only is... Everyone's constantly dropping the term the gig economy. Not only would that be something that becomes, I think, the way in which people work in in that we're all freelancers who plug away, Mm. who sell skills in a marketplace that then becomes, you know, transferable, you know, the moment the technology catches up to facilitating that, it just much makes much more business sense for people to hire staff in a gig economy setting. Google kind of works like that too. You can have a job that you can take as much time off from your work at work hours as you like but you are assessed every quarter as to how beneficial you've been to the company and you don't have a job next mm. quarter if you're not you know pulling your weight i think that that's sort of the way that the company's the future will will move i don't know what job security will look like in that space but i imagine what that demand this is i mean one of the main reasons that this podcast to me is even necessary now is because i think what that demands is that people do give a shit about what they're doing mm. to the point that they're constantly having to sell and resell their skill set to look like, to be, um, I suppose, desirable in the marketplace. Yeah. That you can't just sort of kick back and wait for your retirement package, you know, uh, the way that many people would have in the last hundred years worth of business. And also I thought it's it's so interesting what you say about gig, gig economy because A, I don't actually know what that means and B, being in the real world or being you know, suddenly going freelance. I always thought I knew it all. I'm a journal of, what, 15, 20 years, uh, you know, TV producer. I've done daily current affairs, weekly current affairs, daily news. I've worked in radio. Um, so I thought that the communications world would just be so easy. I've realised that there's so much I don't know, um, so many different um, elements. I, I've also realised that different departments and different areas 
have their own language of speaking. So, for instance, I didn't actually know what the terms stakeholder engagement meant up until two weeks ago when I was um, looking at communications jobs and advisory jobs and everything and, and, and thinking, oh, I've got to learn this whole new form of language. And friends of mine who'd worked for councils and governments and um, in all those sorts of commu- corporate communications roles, they had to give me a crash course about what everything meant. So uh, I realised I didn't actually know that much. You know, I knew what a grab was for TV, um, but I didn't know. There's so many terms I need to learn. I feel like the lingo is one of the easiest parts to pick up. And once you get it and you can talk the talk, it's an, almost enough to be walking the walk just by speaking yeah. how everyone else is speaking. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I had my, like, my flirtation with the corporate world, which is actually another reason why I even wanted to make this podcast. When I was doing this job and I was in it for like a year and a half in a couple of different departments and I was constantly meeting people who you know, felt very stifled in that they didn't quite know how they got there, but they'd signed up for a, a role and now they maybe didn't feel so connected to it, thought it was what they wanted, but it was kind of too late. And maybe they wanted to go on maternity leave or study leave or they wanted to have a mortgage, but they didn't think that leaving was an option. It was mm. just lockdown. But what I, one of the things I remember thinking was how, as a creative who'd never spoken catchphrasy kind of terms, <laughs> that I kept on hearing people, I'd have these clients and they'd send emails where they'd use these terms and I'd never, I'd never heard them before, and I would be trying to incorporate them in the emails I was returning to them, but not knowing what they were talking about, and then going to spend time in corporate land and being like, I just need to know the bottom line figures on, you know, what that, you know, the, the, the ETA on that one is, because we're going to do an EDM, like, next month, and all these sort of, you know, shorthand terminologies, I realized what they were, and then I now know how to speak that language to people when I'm selling them ideas. I'll be honest, at first I thought... I'm a doer. I'm an action girl. You tell me to do X, Y, and Z, and I'll give you the whole alphabet. Um, so, and I just thought these terms are all bullshit. I don't. Why, why don't we just say um, it, it means this or it's a long-term strategy or whatever? But you know, I've understood. But I, I just thought, you know what? Don't argue, Naomi. Just, just learn and adapt. So, how long after emancipating yourself from seven did you find yourself? in a pub and how long or how long have you been on the lamb for now well i wanted to i I thought i'm gonna have a bit of a break i went and did some work on the i finished on a friday and basically did some work on a monday because i can't sit still but i also at the back of my head mind had the money security fear thing um and um i guess that that fear of security or, or that dependence on this idea of security did you save a safety net Yes, okay. I did. Yeah, because I think that that's how I would recommend someone do it. Save for a holiday. Don't take the holiday. Just stay mm. put, but use that holiday money to set yourself up. Yeah. With whatever the new form of life looks like, or maybe exploring what you care about and what you're interested interested in. But my God, I've had to learn um, so many new money skills. Um, I had not. Um, you, you learn here. You have to be really self motivated when you work for yourself or you work freelance. Um, it's very, um, it's, it's very easy to just want to sit there and watch Foxtel all day. Um, the affair is very, um, it's very addictive and it's one hour eps. So you watch one and you get distracted from your work and suddenly it's midday and you haven't done half of what you need to do. Um, but I think the money security thing, I think it really hit me two days after I left and I had to go to the news agency and buy my own stapler. I thought this is outrageous. Now I realise, no, this is what real, this is what normal people do. This is what half the population has to do. Um, so save the. I know I sound, sound, sound like a spoiled brat now, but then I also thought, you know, okay, must save receipt. And I know that sounds really basic, but you've got to understand that I, um, I, I it was like, I, I just relied on the company for everything, um, and they looked after me. So when you say you relied on the company for everything, does that mean that they? I mean. You have a home that you go to that you have dinner at, if you're lucky, and the rest of the time you're spending so much time at work that all your stationery, <laughs> <laughs> no, I everything mean, exists at work. I think when I say that, I sort of mean that metaphorically in the sense of the fortnightly paycheck. The um, if, you, if you need a notepad, you can just get it from work. Um, the social... The can... social thing. Oh, now, let's talk about the social element. Um, when you're at work you get stimulation from people around you. Um, you. You can talk to people if you're, you're having a mental block about 
something and there's always people around you, you're sitting at home working on your own. That's a really big shift. You're sitting there alone and you've got no one to sort of bounce off. Um, and that was another hard thing, apart from security, sitting at home on your own. You've also got no one to argue with. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. If someone was in your situation and they were concerned about that, I would say angle for a, getting a desk at a hot hot mm. desk sort of communal space because instantly you're replicating something that is familiar to you and feels safe. And if you need to do it even as a sole practitioner, you can do it in an environment that doesn't make you feel so overwhelmed. See, mm. I personally love that isolation and could happily be, would do my best work. I literally, I went to Scotland Island a couple of weeks ago and was on an island surrounded by water with no cars and no shops just doing work for three days and I loved it like, were you self-motivated I've been I've been getting my head around what that looks like since I was in my early 20s because I always fancied the idea of being a novelist or like being a script writer or being a whatever whatever insert uni fantasy dream here <laughs> and as a result I was like well cool now I know how, now I have to learn how to do that so I realized that the first step was not watching Sex in the City in the afternoon. But it's so cool. It's so addictive. And they do marathons on Foxtel. All the more dangerous. Yeah. yeah. This is the thing you actually have to... I mean, what I had to learn by process of failure and, and then gradually whittling down an understanding of what that looks like. I also... Well, I, I don't know what it, the day-to-day looked like of someone who was a disciplined, active, creative person. And that only came through asking other friends what their days look like and how they sort of, you know, structured their nine to five. In a sense. Are you working in your PJs? I, 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 well, for me, I am my most efficient if I manage to get up before dawn and just be at my desk coming to as the coffee's kicking in and I can work unbroken till midday in PJs. But in general, I'm so great before anyone starts emailing, before I start to like think about what's going on outside that bedroom um, and I've used that way of working for over 10 years and it does me really well. But I know this, the moment I put like a gym session in the morning and try and go back to my desk and it's never as good. No, exactly. Uh, so what I what would love to know is what do you want the next chapter to look like? I, I'm still working that out. I think um, I, I will eventually have to get remarried next year. Um, I, but I only want to get remarried if it's something that I really want to do, if it's something where the deal is good, um, and if it's something that I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, I've learned to don't, not, I've learned not to sell yourself short. Um, and actually, in many ways, it took me to leave Channel Seven to really realise that. Wow, while whilst I don't have a certain, these other skills, my God, I know how to produce stories or interview people. Or, um, you know, do briefs and workout sequences and all of that. So I I didn't actually... But while I was there, I didn't realise that. I'd always had that imposter syndrome where I thought, oh, I'm in a bit of a bullshit job um, because it's creative. Um, But, yeah, I think it took took for me to leave. So I definitely... I I sort of know what I want to do next year. I've decided to give myself maybe about six to eight months off, um and learn a few things. I was thinking I might even go and do a social media course at UNSW and learn that. Um, but, you know, it's really also um, getting used to looking after yourself with your finances and stuff. That was the biggest lesson, how to write an invoice, learning to that, you know, sometimes people don't pay their invoices on time to you, learning how to manage your cash flow and thinking, oh, well, I based my entire rent and you know, bills and everything around this two-week cycle. And um, that was pretty scary to go from the two-week cycle into a nothing cycle. So I love the idea of upskilling yourself and, and, ed- and having fun with educating yourself because it is an interesting duality. On the one hand, you're incredibly highly skilled with these really, like, you know, sellable skills. You mm. know, everything that you're good at is very valuable in the marketplace. But yet, in this current way that people work... Uh, in order to be able to manoeuvre in the marketplace, you need to be a lot more self-sufficient in terms of doing the job of a few different people yeah. well enough that you can then house the skills that you're really marketing. And I, I mean, I definitely identify with that because I, in my job, I would need to write, direct, edit, produce and shoot. But I, when someone asks me what I do, I just say I'm a director and producer. And, and that generally means I do both things simultaneously, and that's. But everything else I do kind of mm. supports that. But on the surface, that sounds that could sound like to a layman 
but you only have two skills. But they're actually big umbrellas for about 25 different skills. 100%. That, you know, in some other more traditional workplaces, you, you know, like I can't, I can't shoot myself, but I, um, and I also don't know how to edit myself or I can just only basic edit, basically edit, but I can oversee people and delegate all of that. Whereas you're the complete package. So I think it's good to start to try and learn those skills as well. I think, well, also the funny thing was I just had to learn because I came up in a time like I was really in the film industry in the GFC and all the filmmakers who I went to school with and people who were older than me were really gunning for TV commercial work and eventually feature film work. And then because the natural evolution of up the, up the rungs of the ladder sort of stagnated and all of a sudden people had to go from maybe doing 100K commercials to 70K commercials and looking down the ladder to take what work was available to them, I was at the very bottom of the ladder going, fuck, I can't even do 5 to 10K commercials because those the 20k guys now have to go do those mm. so what's left for me is content because no one no one wants to shoot content basically stuff that's going to be direct for, for website but you know shot in the most streamlined way possible it was like 2k to 5k and so i've always worked in that space and thought you know in now the jobs are bigger and better and more fun but at the same time i can make two grand look really expensive but also don't underestimate that because what you, what you everything you've said there that's a really healthy attitude towards the entire business i used to find with film and tv and um, a lot of the kids that were coming up through the ranks they had a real snobbery about genre so you know my attitude and i've always said this to everybody whether you're doing a diet story or a crime story or whether you're shooting an ad or a feature film it's all the same skills whether it's you know it's pop music or it's classical music but it's still shooting, writing, producing, everything, and you've got to treat it all the same. So I think that's why you've done quite well for yourself. Well, I, I, that's lovely of you to say, but also I recognise that it comes down to how the practical side of how you want your day-to-day to look is, for me, the most important thing. So I realised that I've been on... Like, I went to work for a dumb director who was in his peak in the, in the late 2000s, and I was working as his right-hand man in London mm-hmm. and we were directing a Janet Jackson music video oh, and we did all of it. It was like, but it was a daggy era of Janet. It was like, <laughs> Still was Janet know, Jackson. yeah, it was the feedback era. <laughs> I loved it, but you know, he, um, but however it was a hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand pounds. It was, um, that how, how big the total budget was. It was such a shit fight. He was so stressed. He had such mm-hmm. a terrible time. He just actually kind of broke him. He went from doing co-commercials and international award winning music videos to kind of just going, Oh, I just want to go back to, doing my sculpture again and being in control of my own creative space once more. And I sort of lived through that with him enough to go, oh, you know what really matters? Not Sometimes it's probably not the scale of how big your gigs are. It's actually like, what do you love to do on the daily and how can you facilitate that? Mm-hmm. And if I have to be on set, I don't actually really like being on set unless I'm running the show. Unless I can make sure people are having a really great time, mm-hmm. I don't want to be there. And so I've been on lots of commercials where, you know, there've been really high stakes and really big money. And sometimes I've been in higher positions and sometimes I've been a shoot kicker, but generally no one's having a good time. Mm. And I think that when I get to do stuff that's on like in my, under my control, I know that I'm having a great time and everyone around me will be facilitated to do great work and really loving being there. You know, that to me is a great day. Well, it's almost like what you're saying is your highest value within a workspace is energy i guess 100% energy and motivation yeah exactly because if not what's the point of being there but not but people have different values some, a lot of people probably don't value that some of them if they really value say the monetary side they're just thinking um well you know how many more hours do have to be hours? here before i can exactly. cash my check yeah. yeah yeah absolutely well i mean i i still i wonder so that you don't fall back into dating like this is metaphorical people yeah. so you don't fall back into marrying someone who's just like who you married previously i.e you don't end up in a job that promises the world and doesn't deliver what are you going to do next time around to make sure this is for real i think i'm just um i'm gonna learn to i guess maybe question things a bit more um when i was younger i just said yes to everything because it's also that fear of i don't know where the next dollar's coming or I don't know what I'm going to do next. Or, um, so I, I would just learn to question things a bit and not take things on face value. And, um, you know, I, I think 
especially I've never sort of thought about it from a gender perspective, but I've always felt like the men are better at negotiating. And I think as girls, we need to learn how to get better at that. Um, what can a girl do to get better at that, do you think? I think it's a confidence thing. And it's also realising your self-worth. Um, and it's also people's self-worth are determined by rejections and acceptance. Um, so it, it's just also realising, yeah, I guess your self-worth is you just because you don't get a good offer the first time or because this company didn't want you, it doesn't mean that you're shit at your job. An acting teacher of mine used to say, confidence is just practice. And it makes me realise that when I used to, I used to be a nightclub doorman for a lot, many, many years from all throughout <laughs> film school and even beyond. So from 2004 to 2010, for between two and four nights a week, I was standing on the door of a nightclub letting people in. So while you were chief of staff, <laughs> I was a disco doorman. And one thing I did learn to do in that space, because I was constantly starting and ending jobs because the nightclub industry is so fickle and weird, um, and also as well, nights are always relaunching and, and closing down because they'd sometimes worked and didn't work. But every single time I'd have to renegotiate my mm. fee. And after a while, when people loved to see me on the door, Disco, that my nickname was Disco, they would, um, you know, they, they would, and I was like, wow, I'm kind of a valuable proposition in, in launching a night. Like, I'm, I'm good at my job. I'm great at welcoming people in and I'm a good selector and I'm good at delivering hard information in a <laughs> way that won't get my head kicked in. And so I noticed that by you know, realizing that, that I will kind of go, okay, well, what is the top dollar? Who's getting paid the most in this space? I want what, I want what they're getting. Mm. And I basically just went straight for that. And I worked my way down from there because I was like, well, I feel like I'm the most important person in yes. this scenario. So therefore that's what I, I feel like I'm worth. And that's what I'm going to ask for. And you know what? I pretty much got it from the, from the moment I asked for it. Wow. And I, I have a feeling that I would say to anyone who's listening to this, if you, if you, because confidence is just practice, you have to feel okay with trying and failing something like negotiating. Mm. But if you're if you're good at your job, your boss is never going to let you go for the fact that you've asked for a raise. I mean, I don't advise it obviously if you have just come out of university or you, you know, you're, <laughs> okay, you're, you're, you're okay, millennials. Okay, millennials. S settle down, millennials. <laughs> I've seen all you Gen Ys um, turn up and say, "I'm on a hundred k right now." <laughs> Look, but you know what? To their credit. Some of them will ask for it and some of them will get it. So I feel like... I know. I feel like... And the sure. only thing stopping them from getting it is that they sometimes haven't asked for it. So mm. I think that if you can... Because the thing is, there are... I tell you this much. There are less talented people than you in the world getting paid more for doing less. I know. I know. Hello, Kim Kardashian. 100%. So, you know, why not just try? The worst, that something, the worst thing that can happen is say no. Because I feel you're right. I think there are a lot of girls and, and, and guys, but in particular women, because... I think you feel like, as a girl, maybe that's improper to speak about money or something like that. I always felt that I had to prove myself like, oh, God, you know. And I, I always had that really mental attitude of, um, oh, God, you know, I don't want them to think that they're wasting their money on me. And which I look back and go, oh, why did I think that? Um, and also when you realize that a lot of people in business don't know what they're talking about, mm. don't know what they're doing, and actually what I realize, which is gold, you heard it here first. This is my number one tip to anyone who's listening, who's thinking about how to evolve in the business space. The person who you need to convince of anything only needs to convince the person who's one rung above them on the ladder that they made the right choice based on the, the facts that were present. So if you can show proof that what you're asking for, or what you need is actually proven via some other means, then that puts them in a situation where they can't get in trouble for having agreed to the thing because as far as they were concerned, it made sense based on the facts that were presented. And they just need to convince the person who's questioning them who's only ever one rung up on the ladder why and what that was. So in general, you don't have to think about like, you know, businesses don't have feelings. You know, it's not an actual person. This entity, this financial entity, isn't someone who you're, you're taking money from who's going to sleep, lose sleep at night. It's a business entity and ultimately the person that you're asking for a raise, if they can justify it based on some information you've provided them, then you'll get it. It's funny because you've just described business as a very unemotional thing. It's just business. Whereas I've always had the headspace of um, loyalty and love and friendship and security and 
all these other themes are uh, the polar opposite of what you of how you just described business, which is and I've never detached and unemotional. Yeah, I've, and also I've never grown up in the business space. I've had one corporate job for a year and a half, and the rest of my working life has been as a freelance kind of you know trying to get my end in somehow, doing something you know mm-hmm. trying to make make my way in the big wide world, but ultimately looking at business and being like. Oh, that's a bit weird. Like, I can't believe people behave that way. And so I think the lack of loyalty on my behalf is not one... Like, I'm loyal to doing great work that I believe in, but I'm not loyal to this fantasy, this sort of hypothetical entity that is an institution, you mm-hmm. know? I'm very suspicious of institutions because I know full well that that institution would fire you in a heartbeat if, mm. if having you on the books does not serve their better interest, which is exponential growth. And then when that does happen to, you know, I guess a lot of people, the ones that you say they leave at 54 or that, that happens to them, I guess that's when it hits, hits people harder because, you know, you, you do go through the who am I existential crisis even harder. And it's grief. It's, it's all that grief that comes with it. Well, you know, people are so tribal. It doesn't surprise me that we need safety in numbers and we need to feel like we're part of something. But I also think that, you know, the new way of working that I think, you know, so you've never heard the catchphrase, the gig economy. No. Okay. There's a Need lot of, learn. okay. okay here, it's, this is macro. Uh, this is like a little uni tutorial. Okay. I really go to the uni tutorials when I briefly went. So hit me. What is a gig economy? Okay. Well, there's some great data going around at the moment that, um, in, by the 2020, 44% or something like that of the international workforce will be the gig economy, which means that we won't, the way industry works now is based on this like a post-industrial revolution where you kind of join up a company, you are in the company, you grow within the company and then you'll retire and your safety is sort of provided and you'll incrementally increase in your wage to justify your time that you've been in the firm. The gig economy is almost going, well, we'll all have skills that we sell to companies that will be on a contract basis and we will be renewed for work if we're doing the job successfully. Mm. So the, the big example, like I suggested before, was Google. Google, in a sense, operates as a gig economy, even though they are a corporation, so that your job, you know, you can take as much holiday leave as you like. You've got your set list of tasks. Interestingly, people don't take as much holiday leave as they could, um, and, and I think statistically less than people who have actual paid leave mm. um, because there's a culture of doing right by how great this this firm is treating them. Well, I walked away with, um, I think I had about 13 weeks annual leave. Do you get paid for that? Yeah, it was okay. paid annual leave. So, but I, I just never really took holidays and... Um, 13 weeks? Yes, I had 13 weeks annual leave. I must leave. Wow. So, describe to me the payoff, spending... A lot, like the, when you're in your twenties and you're getting, I suppose you were rewarded for your investment because you, you I climbed the ladder. You got great. I had, a, I had, a, I had a great trajectory, um, and I, I guess it was this determination. I mean, I was really competitive when I was twenty-three, and you know, you, you think, oh, that person got that story, and oh, I've got to win, and it was never about the money for me. It was about I'm going to make something of myself. I think. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I wasn't very academic and didn't like school, um, didn't, didn't do very well there. I think what's always, always driven me is this inherent underlying sense of a fear of failure. That, um, and I, um, you know, I left home quite early. I've always been really independent. So in my mind, I'm always like, I'm only accountable to myself. So that was always the driving force. So I thought being a part of a company, um, there was so many safety blankets there were people that I had great bosses who cared about me, um, you know, and on a personal level, they really cared about me. So it was almost, it was um, filling the void of family, basically, and filling the void of security. And that's what I used it for. And I mean, that makes sense. And that would be, uh, if you were looking for that, that's a really kind of, I, I guess it's a healthy repl- rep- replacement, you know, because... They're it's like having a husband, I guess. Yeah, they're reliable. They're not going anywhere. Like they're, you know, they'll take care of you. You love them. You sense. hate them. You fight with them. <laughs> yeah, and I think do we? I mean, your situation that took you to that place that made that um, desirable and, and, and necessary. Were there other people in the world of that in your bubble that were bringing as much <laughs> zeal as you for different reasons? Um, I think 
someone, I remember once saying to someone, oh, I just wish everybody had my work ethic. The world would be a better place and we, it would be so amazing. And someone, this particular smart person said back to me, well, if everybody had your work ethic, then everybody would be wanting a job and everybody would be wanting your, um, the same career trajectory. So the world needs the lazy people who value other things that are not their jobs. Everyone's got a different set of values. And um, I realised that there is a perfect um, kind of order, I guess, within the workplace of having those different work ethics. So um, I, think, I think to survive as long as I did in a very intense creative media environment, you do have to have that zeal and you do have to have that motivation. Um, a lot of people do. It's, it is a high turnover industry, but then the people who stay there for decades, they do have that zeal and they, they do have that zest for it. So throughout your the 20s and, and early 30s, what was the part of the job that you loved the most always the same or has it evolved? It's evolved. Um, I've always loved storytelling though. And um, it's like what you were saying earlier about you've got the 100K ads, you've got the 7K and then you've got the other little things. I never ever, I always saw the common theme of I have a love for storytelling and I have a love for being a platform of being a voice for people who don't have a voice out there. People used to laugh at me. You know, I had friends who would laugh at me and say, oh, you know, wow, you did a great story last week, but this week you're doing a story about, you know, some pensioner who can't, um, who's being screwed over on a phone bill. And I used to get really defensive and just say, well, hang on, that's the same skills, of parallel skills of storytelling because you've got to make everybody out there, the viewers, care. You've got to know how to sell the story. You've got to know how to... Um, promo the story you've got to know how to get the best emotion to sell the story and you've got to know how to cut shoot it write the story in an engaging way for that particular audience and also now in my freelance life you know i've been doing a bit of marketing and a bit of you know public relations and taking whatever work i can and i've realized that common theme of loving storytelling just like how you love the energy on a set it's a par- it's a common um it's a common thing that you can take depending on the genre. So if I'm doing marketing or PR, I think I look at it differently. Like if there's um, a product or a client, um, I actually think about it and think, oh, how do I package this stuff into a great story so that the media care about it and why do we care? And, you know, it could be something so inane and simple, but there's always some sort of message that you can get to a broader audience about that. I guess that's marketing. I mean, that you've, I like that you've distilled the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, the thing that you really connect to, because I think you have to, if you're turning up to commit as much energy to a job as you sound like you have committed to that, those previous roles, knowing that that's so important to you, does the next chapter, would you, would you sort of center what you'd like your work life to look like around storytelling? Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely, I love for me. Um, I love TV production. I love TV producing and I love storytelling I know what I love, um, and it's got to be something that has those elements in it. I don't know what that perfect job is yet, and don't know what that. I don't know what the perfect guy I'm going to remarry <laughs> is. Metaphorically, metaphorically, everybody. Um, hello, Brad Pitt. No, I'm joking. Um, I want you to have the Brad Pitt of jobs. No, just waiting. Me too. Just, okay, just let's the... put this out to the universe. Great. <laughs> but what, well, that's, let's do it. What does it look like? What this metaphorical perfect man, well, sorry, perfect job that's that's coming in the form of like the perfect partner? You're going to have to dedicate, you know, a lot of energy, sixty hours a week to this relationship, and you you know that you want to have something that celebrates these things that are important to you. What are they? It's got to have an element of um, video or TV production to it. Um, it's got a, um, this sounds, I've got to be working with good people and people who care as much as I do. Um, I know it sounds, I know work's work and you shouldn't, it's not about the people. For me, it is about the people because you spend more time with those people than you actually see your own family. Um, so trait number two, yep. Um, it's got to be in a good team, good punch, bunch of people who are just as motivated to be there as I am. It's got to be storytelling, producing, um, and uh, yeah, I mean they're they're the main traits for me. It's got to be yeah. on the train line. No. <laughs> Was there like a, like when you do end a relationship and the next time around you say, okay, I want all that plus this thing that my last lover didn't have? 
and we all know what that always tends to be. What is it for you that your last situation was missing that you really want to make sure you have this time around? Oh, let me think about that. Because if it was perfect, you'd still be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um... I think I'd probably... I think I'd probably try and take a few more holidays. Um, and I think in my last situation... Even 11 years on, I was still fearful I was going to lose my job because I'd be crap. So, so stupid I look back. So, in my new marriage, um, I'm just, I think I just need to be more focused on the actual job and less on the, um, on the anxieties and the insecurities of it. Because I think a lot of what drove me apart from, I, I said earlier, I was driven by fear of failure. That's essentially being driven by an insecurity and being driven by an anxiety. And, um, that's not a healthy place to be. I think your motivation, you should always, you should more be driven by firstly, the love of, of your job. Um, and also my last job as well. I, um, I think it made me realize as well. I mean, I was in, I was doing news and, you know, whilst I loved it and everything, I also realized that I preferred long, longer format storytelling. So that's another trait, you know, something that, um, you know, was longer stories than say a minute 10 or something like that. And, um, you know, I think I used to love sit down interviews and so things that, that had those, you know, those aspects to it. Does that mean that you spend longer researching and longer putting the yes. story together because it's screen time is sometimes what half an hour or 10 minutes? So for say, um, so with a, with, with a news story, you know, so, um, the main motivation is to break it and get it out there with your longer format stories, like your six thirty current affairs shows or your, um, documentary style shows, you um, you do spend so much time researching that. And I love the research element as well. Um, people used to laugh at my briefs. I used to go and get them professionally binded and print them in colour. And I used to, I remember guarding the photocopier one day because someone dared print one piece of paper and they were messing up my 300 page print that was going to go into 10 different briefs. Um, so I, I do, that's also another element I love. I love doing all that production kind of work. And I think um, you have to be such a good researcher because you're putting more resources into those bigger shoots, as you would know in advertising. So all the elements and all the prep has to be there. Um, and, and that's something I did miss, I think, in the last couple of years. Yeah. So that's something I'd like to go back to as well. I love that. So, I mean, I love to ask people when I, if I was to bump into you in a year's time and you were to be really far along with a project that's currently just a twinkle in your eye, what would your future projection of that dream project look like maybe doing something in documentary or something where i get i get very attached to people i interview and they all become friends for life so it would be something in that space of documentary longer format stories um but also um some, something in the commercial space though i actually no i shouldn't I, I need to leave my options open i need to yeah, not just be so one. I think it's okay to be really specific because worst case scenario, you go towards the thing that you think you want. And if you don't choose that, it's because you've been distracted by something you want more on the way. So it's not, I don't think it's altogether too mm-hmm. um, in disabling to have a very specific intention because then at least you've got something to work towards. I, I'd love to know, well, when you are passionate about the process, would it, matter to you to be passionate about the subject or does that not matter so much um actually that's a really interesting question do i need to be passionate about the subject i get passionate about subjects if i if i care about the person's story yeah so i think i end up being passionate about subjects i don't like seeing people i i've always loved what i loved about my job was people who didn't have voices and um you know, you, the government listens, departments listen and organisations listen because you're this humble little medium of television and you're somehow getting their story or their, um, you know, their situation to two million people and, and people will listen and watch. So I think it's not so much the subject, it's the predicament of the person and the situation they're in. Yeah. I love that. Well, I really hope... I mean, what this, this period might be really fun for you if not experimenting with what the new f- relationship looks like, what the new form of storytelling that you're going to take looks like. 
but also giving yourself the time now that you're not plugging into 70-hour weeks on, the, on a really intense job to experiment with subjects that you could want to tell stories about. Mm. Because if you've now got the time to get out in the wide world, like you say, and you know, actually you know, live like common people, yep. you, you might get a chance. I, think, I just hope that things, seeds get planted in your consciousness that then blossom on screen. I also miss writing, I think, because I was doing a managerial sort of job the last um, year and a half, and I realised one thing I also miss was writing. Um, it's quite a meditative process. Um, what, yeah, what did writing look like for you? Oh, not so much, you know, not, it's not the great novelist fantasy, though that is a fantasy. It was, it was just writing scripts, you know, going through reams of vision, um, put, the, the whole production process of being a television producer i actually really loved that and i really miss that being a manager i i would suggest as well um now that you've got now that you're running your own day-to-day try and just hold back on the affair <laughs> as much as you can but facilitate and make time for the, the the actual tasks that you love to do like writing but do it off your own bat in a environment that is you know taking creative little outings and journal writing or you know set yourself so it sounds like you work well with parameters mm. so maybe you yeah, need, I need to, a deadline maybe you need a deadline sex or, in the city, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you need to go okay well every day or every third day i'm going to set myself the task of doing a short piece about something something that i'm intrigued by and then in the you know mm. in current affairs or in real life or about the old lady that lives across the road from me who's you know really has a coffee every morning on the stoop or you know mm. whatever it happens to be I, I i just love that you've given yourself something that most people don't which is actually time and because that's one thing that people are so poor of is, is well time. it's funny you say that because i went to the country recently and um my friends who are staying with um the um she uh the woman nancy she runs the local paper the Vingra advocate um and um, that was short on a staff member and I said, oh, look, please let, let me do it. And um, I think some, I think they were sort of like, oh, would you really want to write for a little local paper? I had the best time. I loved it because it was still the same process for me, interviewing farmers, writing, um, you know, doing pulling a story together. Anyway, I made front page of the Bingara Advocate. I was very excited. Um, I think I think a couple of my friends are like, oh my god, she's gone from chief of staff of Seven News. She's gone from this full-on career at Channel Seven. She's now writing for the local paper. But I see no shame in that. I, I just see um, that it's it's the same skills. It's all parallel. It's pop music. It's well classical music. It's all we're all writing and singing about love, essentially thematically. Britney Spears and Mozart were singing about love. Britney did it in three minutes. Mozart did it in a three-hour aria. There is no better way for me to finish this podcast or any podcast that I ever hope to make than with that sentiment. That Thank was, you. That was heaven. I feel like this is therapy. Oh, me too. I've got a to-do So that was my chat with Naomi, and it was really interesting for me to interview someone who has actually done the thing that I'm championing in this podcast. What's most exciting is that She's still a work in progress. Naomi doesn't know where she's going to end up or what her next role will be. But that was a fantastic place for us to have our conversations. She has the safety net underneath her in terms of the money, like a holiday fund that she'd saved up to support herself until she finds that next role. But what she ultimately is buying for herself is time. Time to work out what she really wants to do, what she really cares about, and time to not have to commit to the next marriage until it feels right. What she has decided to do in the meantime is upskill and educate herself in things that she's interested in, like getting more adept with social media marketing so that she can combine it with her pre-existing skill set. And at the same time, she's going to continue to define and redefine her goals. As with the ending of any relationship, before she can commence a new one, it's really good for her to do a stock take of what worked well in the past and what didn't, what you want to carry over and what you'd like to leave behind. It's important to articulate this to yourself, even if the idea evolves and shifts along the way, because that intention setting will act like a filter so that you can sense check whether what you're investing your energy in serves the ultimate goal. We discuss the importance of recreating the environment that you're used to working in, 
like taking a hot desk in a shared workspace if you're used to working in an office. And if you respond well to deadlines, commit yourself to your output. For example, if you're a writer, it's really good to commit to posting a weekly blog article. Or if you're an aspiring presenter, commit to a fortnightly podcast episode. There's never been a better time to be an independent broadcaster and to find your own audience. So find a way to hold yourself accountable to your output so that you can get better at the thing that you'd love to do. Remember, your career should work for you. And by constantly striving to align it with what you're interested in and what you care about, you're likely to find a career path that doesn't just take energy, but fills you with energy in return, like any good relationship. That's all for today. And if you liked anything you heard on today's podcast, the best thing you can do is share it with someone, anyone, who may find it helpful or inspiring. And before I go, I want to give one more shout out to anyone who would like some help working on their passion project. Whether it be finding a career path that's right for you, or breaking through creative blocks with a particular project that you're working on, or just trying to find out what the hell you're passionate about in the first place. If this sounds like you, then drop me an email at danbrophy at gmail.com or message me via Instagram at danbrophy. That's all for this week. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, why don't you try re-watching a film that you used to love as a kid? Yeah.